we're here live at the STS, and I'm very delighted to be uh, accompanied by the wonderful, the one and only Emily Parkins. Thank you. Thank you for visiting, and thank you for, for being here with us. I feel bad because we've worked you like a dog today, haven't we? Oh. So, uh, tell Hashtag us... almost famous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you have done a whole load of interviews. What time did you start at the STS today? Oh, well, we started at 6.30 a.m. with the yeah. extraordinary women in cardiothoracic surgery breakfast. And, and you had an extraordinary woman, didn't you? Yes. Tell us all yes, about that. Yes, we did. So um, there were three uh, award recipients, excellent, amazing, outstanding rock star women. So um, let's see, Dr. Schwabe, Dr. Carpenter, and one of our own, Dr. Shanda Blackman. Yeah, absolutely. Did yeah. anything stand out for you in particular? Who's your favorite? Oh, you got a well, soft spot? I, you know, I... <laughs> We'll have three, to make three different versions yeah. of this video and then play them separately. So, yeah. yeah, but well, Dr. Blackman has been part of CTSNet, right? She for has, some time. Absolutely. And so, yeah. of course, we feel a little partial to her. Yeah, well, it's her birthday. So, how about right, uh, exactly. best birthday wishes to Shanda today uh, on receiving an amazing award uh, uh, this morning for all her lifelong work uh, in the field of diversity and inclusion uh, and promoting women in surgery. And, and you've actually done a few other really amazing interviews because there have been some really impactful sessions. And really, the one I was just horrified just now, 10 minutes ago, uh, an amazing survey showing that women in their first job are only paid 80% of what men are. That's Right. from britain that's outrageous you right. know that doesn't happen around the world right yeah so i mean dr. are you shocked or you you knew that well i i i think we knew that the disparities existed but dr yeah. sherry erkman uh sort of headed the task force with the first sts endorsed compensation survey and got really compelling and pretty enlightening data about that exact value so mm. what we were talking about was how nice it is to have some leverage and have some talking points when you do negotiate for your compensation. Yeah, and again, the one nice thing that, that you did bring out was that actually the SDS is doing something about it, right. uh, that they're not putting under the carpet. They're actually saying, here is a problem. We're, we're doing it as openly as we can. And we're actually going to make efforts to try and write that. And uh, the, the other thing that came out I thought was really interesting is it's that first job, that first attending job, that's where it kind of falls falls over a bit, doesn't it? Right. And we had and you... Dr. Megana Heldner, who is five years out from her training at Mayo, and she was expressing how, you know, when you make that first negotiation, you have this sort of imposter syndrome of you don't really know if you can perform X, but you're negotiating for X. And so it's really, um, it's important to have that kind of STS endorsed data to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess everybody doing going for their first job is nervous, but actually, uh, you know, it, it's now fact that women, you know, stand back, whereas us bolshy blokes uh, go in two feet and it's making a difference. So, yeah, I was really right. impressed with that. So yeah. thank you so much for that, that really interview. It was really great. You did some great interviews as well, right? Uh, yeah, well, we've actually been here. We've done a whole load of really interesting uh, interviews all the way from esophageal surgery to, to, to many other areas, uh, lots of diversity inclusion, which is really great and uh, and i'm actually tomorrow be interviewing roger flores that i'm really looking forward to bernie park uh, about robotics uh, so you know there's huge amounts of other things going on so so yeah it's uh, it's gonna be a busy two more days really uh, so yeah so do look out for our videos we're going to be uh, posting them out uh, every week uh, interviews for, from here at the sts so so yeah it really is a good uh, uh, little session here in lovely san antonio where it's uh, where it's five degrees centigrade uh, or 40 degrees, but, but super nice. So we've got three papers out there as well uh, this week posted up uh, for you to have a look at. And I think they're really very interesting.
interesting. Um, the first one was uh, by Joe Chiqui. Uh, Joe Chiqui, known to us all, another fabulous paragon uh, of, of women in surgery, but actually so much more. Uh, the other interesting thing is this paper, uh, which is about the differences between surgical mitral valve replacement and edge-to-edge -edge transcatheter repair. Um, she's got it published in the JTCS. Uh, and as ATS editor, I quite like the fact that she's, uh, you know, passing it around a little bit. But she's done this really interesting study uh, whereby she took from the Medicare Medicaid records 53,000 mitral valve interventions um, from 2012 to 2019. She got rid of the really urgent ones, the things that couldn't have had transcatheter valves, and that leaves 27,000 uh, in this analysis. And out of them, 7,700 patients have had transcatheter uh, edge-to-edge repair. And, and that's quite a shock to me, because in the UK, you know, it's nowhere near this prevalent, like not even close. And the sh most shocking result of this paper is that uh, surgical mitral valve repair uh, and replacement is down 30%, uh, while uh, obviously edge-to-edge -edge catheter is going up. But then the other, so they looked at uh, disparities, because obviously they're a little bit older and frailer, but actually when they do a baseline comparison, they're comparing in pairs, they still got a difference in survival and it was big. 65% transcatheter versus 85% surgery and that is after matching. So we've got a problem here, um, you know, and it's big and it's, uh, it, it's Taver all over again. And, uh, and you're an adult uh, cardiac surgeon and uh, are you seeing this in your practice? We do see it. I mean, we see the enthusiasm some, the, some untempered enthusiasm for expanding tier in multiple practice settings. And so I think data like this that's so robust will put a little bit of a, uh, perhaps the brakes on that kind of enthusiasm. Yeah, and it's it's kind of shocking because I don't think it's quite like TAVA, is it? I mean, TAVA provides a good valve with no regurgitation, but that's not the case, is it, in edge-to-edge -edge repair? Not yet, anyway. And yeah. you know, some might argue that these data were from what did we say, 20... 2012 to 2019. Yeah, and so I yeah. think some cardiologists might make the argument that that was early in their experience. And if you look at more contemporary data, that those results for tier will improve, and, and we hope that's the case. But it's always important to remember that the surgical option is a good one. Yeah, and I guess if Joe Chickwe were here, she'd be saying, "Well, this is the we need to look at trials. Uh, we need to set these up." And I know Pat McCarthy and many other people are looking at providing the right trial. But I guess it's important to get the right trial and to learn from previous studies as well. Learn from the TAVI experience. Get uh, maybe an independent study, you know, not uh, industry sponsored, uh, and try and try and get at this in an equitable way. With multidisciplinary input, as always. Yeah, team, so, absolutely. Right. Yeah, it's great. So that was a really great uh, uh, article. It's on CTSnet right now. It's on the front page so take a little look at that and then uh, Emily I know you've, you've had a huge experience in pediatric surgery and we've got a really interesting story that for me was quite interesting I'd actually never heard of uh, of this before and basically it's called a the, the first partial heart transplant uh, so it's a really interesting story we posted um, a lay account because I just thought it was really heartfelt and really nice it's about a little child called Owen Moore um, he was actually at Duke University and Joseph Turek uh, is the lead author 
research is actually this has been simultaneously published in JAMA. And, uh, and this uh, patient uh, had their aortopulmonary arteries fused, uh, they're a neonate, and, and as uh, Joe Turek says, you know, this is a very difficult situation in pediatrics because if you replace this uh, with a valve, they're too small, they're going to have to have repeat surgery. And in his article, he actually says this is going to be like a 50% mortality over the coming years. Is that that's something you've seen in your practice? You know, this is a difficult problem. Well, it's the Achilles heel of congenital surgery really is tissue not growing with the child, right, over the years. And so there have been so many ways to try to tackle that problem. And this is a really unique one that seems to have so much promise. I think the other thing that Dr. Turk brought up is that this opens the option for the domino heart transplant, which means if you're getting an organ for a patient whose myocardium is failing, but their valves are functional, those valves go to a, a, a recipient and the patient who's donated them gets the actual heart transplant and you've helped two patients with one donation. And, and how amazing is that? So. Yeah, no, that's that's such a great point, actually. Yeah, and that's uh, that's really interesting. So they they took a heart that was not eligible for full heart transplant, uh, and they took the aorta and pulmonary uh, arteries with their valves and transplanted them into Owen uh, when he was only 18 days old, uh, and, and so that went really well. But the really key thing is that this was over a year ago, and so they followed this up for over a year, and indeed uh, the valves are growing with a kid. So Maybe. that is great. So congratulations to them. Uh, I'm sure we'll see you know this more and more again. And yeah, what a great, great concept to reducing that mortality from a horrible 50%. Um, so the third, third article that we have chosen for you uh, is uh, another thing that's quite topical, um, and it's from Volkmar Falk and uh, colleagues uh, from Germany, and uh, they've looked at the cardiosurgery atrial fibrillation case AF registry data, and they are telling you about surgical ablation of long-standing persistent AF one-year outcomes from their enormous registry. And it's actually really topical because uh, I got the chance to meet uh, Ralph Damiano. Uh, it was uh, great to see him. He was one of my interviews. He's a great guy, a real advocate of AF surgery, took over from Jim Cox, of course, uh, who is still going well, I hear. He's actually still really? operating. Is I was that quite, right? Yes, no. he's still operating, oh. Jim Cox. So okay. yeah, apparently you can't peel him off the patients. Uh, he loves it so much. Uh, but uh, but this particular study was looking specifically in the uh, KCF registry data. This is a really big database. Um, and uh, between 2017 and 2020, over 1,000 patients in this. And uh, and they were looking at the really hard ones, the long-standing persistence. So this isn't just all comers AF. Uh, and, and they looked at how they did having uh, AF surgery. Um, and, and actually, uh, overall, mostly these were concomitant. Mostly this is my, people having mitrals, as Ralph Damiano said, the heart's open in front of you, you know, just do it. Uh, he was trying to tell us. But, uh, but the, the results of this really were very impressive. Uh, it basically said that 50% of people having uh, AF surgery after long-standing persistence had no AF and 93% were asymptomatic uh, due to AF. So it's actually showing phenomenally uh, good outcomes of AF surgery concomitantly uh, mostly uh, with your cardiac surgery. And this goes really well because there's an STS guideline coming out uh, and we talked about that a little bit and literally we're at grade one evidence for, for, for everybody going into your ORs with AF. You know, you really should be doing something about the atrial fibrillation as Ralph's 
Damiano said, you know, he's he's demonstrated studies of 20% improved long-term mortality in these patients. And so, so I guess I guess I've done a bit of cardiac surgery, and you're kind of oh, another 20 minutes, long bypass time. Where do I do the lesion lines? It's 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 a bit of a chew on, isn't it? But I guess it's the right thing to do. Can't argue with 20% improved mortality, right? Mm. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the thing, and I guess I guess it's who advocates for it, isn't it, really? Because I guess the cardiologists aren't really asking us to do it very much. The patients don't know that we can do it, so and it adds 20 minutes to the operation. So I think I think you have to just understand the STS guidelines, the the levels of evidence we're at, really, and that uh, study after study and randomised trial after randomised trial is saying uh, do do the AF. Uh, a study and actually this paper also said cryoablation was superior to other forms of ablation at doing that uh, the pulmonary vein isolation as well so great great paper Volmar Falk he's here at the SDS as well uh, he's been whizzing around and, and take take a look at that on the website uh, when you get a moment so uh, on to our videos and we've got three beauties uh, for you um, the first one continues uh, Vincent Gaudiani's wonderful series on how to take out a tava have you had to do this much? I think I asked you a bit earlier. You haven't had to do too many, Only have you? Only a handful, but I'm grateful that so, the numbers are low. Yeah, and did they come out okay? Define okay. <laughs> the patient's still alive. I wish Hi, I Martin. had these videos Hi, first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. We're, we're having a live webinar, by the way. Say hello, Very Martin. Good. Why not? Yeah, this is Martin Cerny, a friend of the show on CTSnet. And, uh, yeah, nice to see you. My pleasure. Yeah, and uh, and do you know Emily, by the way? She's one of our top top uh, people uh, who's been doing a load of interviews. But but actually, Martin certainly you must lots of people know Martin, but he's actually uh, runs a guideline committee uh, at EACTS. And actually, tell us two minutes. Uh, tell us about your aortic guideline well, that's yes, coming out. Yeah. Okay, very good. Spontaneous <laughs> occasion. So uh, I would say that what are the main points? One one main point is the aorta now is the twenty fourth organ of the human body. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So uh, this was the first and most important recommendation that the entire writing committee agreed because of the complex function and the functional unity the order provides. It should be seen as an organ. Okay. So first important thing. Second important thing, proximal thoracic aortic pathology. A lot of details with regard to root and ascending um, acute and chronic pathology. Most important points, indications remain between 50 and 55 millimeter according to cascidity, a root or ascending phenotype, but at the end there is a leftward shift. So the new, let's say, um, cutoff is 52 at the end. Yeah? So what was 55 previously is now 52. Aortic length is one of the major components, or there is, is, is now the first time a component of the decision-making process. So because we know from um, from from the Yale data that all uh, that aortic length beyond 11 centimeters is a risk factor for aortic dissection. So length is now a substantial component of the decision-making process. I still have 10 seconds. Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for the highlights. Going okay. up for the highlights. Very good. <laughs> and I would say the last point is the consensus on hypothermia because there was a, a potpourri how to uh, talk about hypothermia, where to measure. And we now have the consensus everything above 28 is mild, everything between 20 and 28 is moderate, with high moderate 24 to 28, low moderate between 20 and 24 below is deep. Wow, when is this coming out? Next week online, both in the European Journal and in the Annals. 
Wow, amazing. Well, you heard it here first. Wasn't that great? Well, what a great meeting. And uh, so nice to see you. And uh, yeah, and we'll profile this on CTS next. Excellent. Yeah. Great. Okay. Thanks a lot, Martin. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, when, I love that. I love that. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> We're nothing if not spontaneous, are we, on CTS Net? Uh, so, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, and brand new. So, yeah, that was quite a lot different. Yeah, changing the actual aortic diameters. That's, uh, that's actually a bit of a, a bit more of an earthquake than I thought. I was just thinking he was going to just do a few tweaks, but that's pretty huge. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm actually going to read it. Yeah, so, so we'll have to have a look at that. So, where were we? We were talking about Tavers, uh, and luckily, Emily has done two fantastic Taver explants uh, with, with perfect... I wish I had the video first. <laughs> yeah, well, it's great. So so the video is all about the moustache, the handlebar moustache uh, technique, where you grab uh, the Taver between the left coronary and the non-coronary cusp, and then you rotate like you're rotating your moustache, which I love. It's a great analogy. But then you cut uh, between the left and non-coronary cusp, which is great, because if you make a bit of a hole in the aorta, that's where you'd enlarge it anyway. And Vince Gaudiani does a lot of enlargements, and so he's not too scared of that. And sometimes he says, you know, if you've got a really stuck taver, you know, just cut it out from there onwards. So, so it's a really good series. Um, he's in, I think, his, his third video on it. And this particular one is uh, an aortic and mitral replacement with double patch repair and aortic root reconstruction. So this is where he really did get into the root. It really got sticky. It was horrifically nasty. I had to look away at some points, uh, but he's such a master. And he does such a lovely job of narrating these. I do encourage you to go and have a look, especially if you're about to face one of those operations uh, shortly. So, so well done to him. Um, the second video uh, we've got for you is actually a really fun one from Mark Ruel. And, uh, and he's done a one-hour seminar all about obcab surgery, off-pump cardiac surgery. And he's got Gianluca Torregrossa and uh, Donna May uh, who also uh, with him. Now, um, I was an on-pump surgeon, and I think you're an on-pump surgeon too, but uh, he does quite a good job of trying to persuade us uh, the utility of off-pump surgery. And, and really, he says it's, a, it's an enabler. He says, because if, if you're going to go off-pump, then you, know, you can then go to minimally invasive, uh, mid-cabs, T-cabs, all that sort of thing. So, so I guess that, that was his top tip. But then he's got uh, 10 top tips to make off-pump surgery better and easier. Uh, and actually, they're really logical. They're really really great. Uh, he does his proximals before his distals. He chooses the worst uh, lesion first. He talks a little bit about uh, some experience of patients crashing when he's doing a diagonal. Uh, and he actually found that that's because they are accidentally crushing the LAD by accident. And that is a common cause of crashing on off-pump surgery. Okay. These are things we have to worry about, isn't it, being on-pump <laughs> surgeons? But, um, but uh, so that was a good tip. And then he actually lowers the blood pressure to 90 doing his top ends. He raises it to about 120 for his diagonals and 150 for his circumflexes. So he raises it up on purpose before twisting the heart so that he doesn't get uh, uh, any blood pressure problems. And I think that was only about four tips. He does 10 on the video. So check it out for the other six because uh, he does a really nice job. It almost wanted me uh, to go and throw away the bypass machine and have a go uh, after watching it. And and he really likes uh, the, um, uh, he, he likes his little starfish as well. He loves that more than his octopus. So, so, so and he uses that to quite good effect. And he's got a few little videos about that. So it's so a good job, Mark. Uh, I really enjoyed that video. 
Uh, and then the final one uh, is again by a friend of CTSnet. Uh, have you ever met Payman Sadari Nia? He's from Maastricht and he's an absolute genius. He does yeah. thoracics, he does cardiac, he does minimum invasive, uh, he leaps tall buildings, and he's also <laughs> invented this incredible 3D um, uh, practice simulator for, for Portaxis Mitral. So he 3D prints all the valves and he's got about 10 in his armamentarium, so anterior leaflet, posterior leaflet, bi-leaflets, barlows, all sorts of things, and he loads them into into the simulator and then you get to do your stitching but the clever little machine can detect how many millimeters of depth each of your stitches are wow. it's actually better than practicing in a real person because it tells you the metrics of every single stitch as you're uh, doing it literally in front of you there's a little screen at the side and it gives you an assessment of your sutures you want one don't you now well, it's like being at orange theory which is one of the gyms we have here and you're working out and it shows you your heart rate and when you're in the zones and all of the the feedback that you get that makes yeah. your um your the practice more rewarding yeah, yeah, so uh, how interesting well the good news about this video is you can try it at home because this is a mobile simulator it's called a tele simulator so he can actually send one to your house uh, over in america and uh, and he has a, ba a station in maastricht and he can patch it over because there's a video camera inside it and you can just use your own ipad it's cheap and portable and he can coach you while he's still in maastricht really this is awesome do i order this on amazon so, or yeah, yeah where can we get this now now, payment we need you on the phone right. so yeah but he's, he's actually got this he's actually presented some data of the first 11 people he did this with uh, sending it to their their homes he actually invented it obviously from covid when people couldn't travel to him and uh, it's an absolute banger so it's just wow. a 15 minute video uh, it really takes his uh, his training processes to the next level uh, and we love it payment you're a hero and uh, and yeah you've already got a sale here already so, <laughs> that's so right. yeah i'll give you my credit card number after yeah. <laughs> yeah that's great and there and those are all three videos so so that was absolutely great uh, it just leaves me to say one honorable mention i wanted to give an honorable mention to john trefalls now john trefalls some of you won't know but he is president of the tsma that's the thoracic surgery medical association uh, medical students association and the reason for giving him an honorable mention is he is he says he always listens to the podcast when he's out running so john keep running uh, you're only 30 minutes in uh, you're 21 minutes in actually you need to keep going uh, don't stop but i'm very proud of you that you listened to all the way to the end uh, and it was really nice to meet you and I did in fact do a, a, a little interview with him as well because actually he would really like to pair up uh, medical students who can't access CT surgeons with CT surgeons so medical students just come and visit and actually he brought one of his colleagues who was one such example he was in a university had no CT surgery program and he paired them up with a surgeon and uh, and that guy's coming into CT surgery so actually he wants loads of us to just sign up and you can go to the TSMA website and just say sure I'll take a medical student why not it's the easiest thing in the world isn't it and Absolutely. you never know you might meet your future colleague might you so. as easy as ordering a telesimilator <laughs> almost and cheaper as well right. uh, and uh, and we actually got uh, a chatting to him and actually medical students are amazing video editors so Very so we've got a whole new project Just on in general all of so. them well, all yes. yeah, as all of them. Are, well, well, the really funny thing is that I said, how can that how can we contact you? He said, you can use Twitter, you can use our Facebook account. And I said, do you have a website? It's like, 
he like stared at me like this is some old guy and talking about a website. I don't think young people use websites anymore. At least but he didn't he said, ask if he had a MySpace or but, something like that. <laughs> yeah, I would just get so confused, the poor guy. But anyway, he stared at me like I was an ancient old dog. So so yeah, but uh, but yeah, get a medical student in your life if you want uh, if you want to do some editing. And uh, and actually, we talked to him about a very exciting new program that we are going to do, which is unedited videos. We're going to try and get videos from people like yourself who've okay. got uh, amazing videos but not the time to edit them and we're going to put them in a big repository and pair them up with residents medical students to edit them up because i think it's a great way to learn um, they, they can take your video they can learn then they maybe send you a few questions like what the hell did you do there and uh, you weren't meant to see that uh, and, but actually isn't that great we can have our videos great edited idea. you've got someone to, to help and they'll learn off them as well well so, they add so. like flattering filters and things uh, to it you'd hope so wouldn't you i would actually <laughs> yeah yeah quite that's compulsory that is right. yeah, so, so yeah so i think that's been really fun so yeah i've had a great first day uh, you're now in hour 12 of being here i believe so. i am but i'm and, going strong yeah and uh, and what time are you getting up tomorrow then 3.30-ish. <laughs> yeah, poor thing. So, so yeah, thank you so much, Emily. Uh, she's done 12 hour shift for us. She's getting up at 3.30, 5 a.m. flights to get home to be on call, I believe. But yes, but it's been wonderful. So, yeah, great. Well, thank you so much. You've been absolutely yeah. wonderful. And uh, keep an eye out for all Emily's awesome videos and my dodgy chatting as well. So, and thanks to everybody for watching our podcast here at the STS in San Antonio. And catch us next week while I'll be back tucked up in chilly old England uh, going through through uh, the best news and events of the day.